Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com, joined by Beaver's Edge writer and KEGO radio host TJ Matthewson. We're back with another edition of the Edge Podcast. Coming to you guys midweek after Oregon State's 55-7 to win over UC Davis to move to 2-0 and on the year. We're also going to be previewing this week's matchup against San Diego State at Reeser Stadium as the Beavers will have a 12-30 kickoff to close out the non-conference slate. Uh, two games are already in the books. Season's going by quick. Happy to be talking with you guys again. TJ, what's going on, my man? How are you? It's good. It's good to get back out to the stadium. What, yes. what a fun day Sunday was. It was oh. warm. Festive atmosphere, even for an FCS opponent. It was crowded. The game was sold out. And, man, we got a lot to talk about. Stadium-wise, game-wise, a pretty comfortable Oregon State victory. Never really in doubt, but you really got to see all that you wanted to on the field. I would say for myself, Sands, Ben Golbranson, was a little surprised he didn't get out onto the field. But you saw pretty much everything else. So, yeah, we got a lot to talk about from this past weekend. Yeah, no doubt. Again, like like TJ alluded to, it's a beautiful night for football over the weekend. and. You know, uh, Oregon State obviously had the six o'clock kickoff, but that didn't mean it was cold at kickoff, TJ. It was uh, a beautiful afternoon slash evening. And uh, this next weekend, obviously, Beaver fans get treated to more sunshine, more nice weather for the 1230 kickoff. So uh, you, you can't complain when you got a couple games in September and you get weather like that. Obviously, the stadium itself, the result. Uh, let's start by diving into the game itself, and we'll talk a little bit about the atmosphere in the stadium uh, that was. As TJ and I have some reactions and a couple shout-outs we got to give as well. But uh, uh, diving right on into the matchup, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, 55-7, to comfortable victory. Uh, TJ, is it a stretch to say, you know, the game was over on Oregon State's first play from scrimmage? I think so. I, that That's what I thought. I, the, Damian yeah. runs through a wide open hole. And we, we we heard Dan Hawkins talk during the week. And, and uh, I think uh, we had Bob Dunning on our, our show, who's covered UC Davis for, for over 50 years, just talking Ooh. about the mismatch in the trenches. And on the first play from scrimmage, your best unit on the field yeah. just plowed a hole right <laughs> through that UC Davis defense and Damian Martinez uh, who barely played, to be honest. Right. He, he had 100 right. yards on two carries. Didn't really have to worry about doing anything else. The game was pretty much over about halfway through the first uh, first quarter. Beavers get an interception on the first defensive drive. Offense marches right down and scores. Little resistance from uh, from around the Oregon State offense. So, yeah, I'd say in terms of everything you wanted to see, that was it. I. Brennan, I can't believe Vegas actually decided to put a spread on this game and they made it 23 points. Yeah. 23 you know, it, points. Like, yeah. what? I, I'm, I'm just curious, yeah. like, the state of the person who decided on that. I mean, anybody who saw a line like that would have to think, like, what, what is this? Yeah, I mean, I think to an extent, TJ, I, I really think, um, and, you know, to just be as impartial as I can be here, obviously I think we – or know what the Beavers are maybe better than most, but I think that it's just that Oregon State still has to prove that national relevancy and respect. And, you know, it, for everything we heard last week and your conversation that you mentioned with the uh, the guy that covers UC Davis football, this was supposed to be one of Dan Hawkins' better UC Davis teams. And, again, as we mentioned last week, Oregon State historically has had a few slip-ups with FCS opponents. Did I expect that this year? Absolutely not. Mike Riley's not coaching. Jonathan Smith is. Neither here nor there. But, you know, it's something we actually mentioned on the radio show this week. I mean, Jonathan Smith, even in his first year, he, for whatever reason, has been able to always get his guys up, locked in, and focused 
for these FCS teams. And he mentioned it at uh, either last week's press conference or this team. And, you know, just kind of says that throughout the week, they treat them as like a FBS team that deserves their full respect. And then they never get surprised. And I think that's really how that goes. But ultimately, you're 100% right. You texted me on the way down to the game being like, yo, Brandon, that's some easy money on that line. And, yeah. uh, you know, I didn't. I'm just like, I'm sitting here thinking about this. I'm like, I know Portland State has struggled this year, but you're telling me there's like Oregon should be a 48-point favorite week one against Portland State at home, but Oregon State should be less than half of that at home to UC Davis. Like, no. Like, I don't think so. I thought that was kind of crazy. I've, who, for If anybody actually got that line at a sports book, credit to you. I mean, what yeah. they, they, don't, they don't give many gimmies. That was one of them. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, that's the thing is TJ – We'll get into uh, this weekend coming up a little bit later, but the spread again against San Diego State, 24 and a half. So stay tuned for the stay tuned for the end of the podcast. See if TJ is going to give you another opportunity to get some easy money. But uh, <laughs> uh, to, to finish the point on, on uh, the offense specifically against UC Davis, uh, you, you're absolutely right. Again, Martinez ended up taking just seven carries on the night. Um, got majority of them in just a couple runs, as TJ mentioned, easy pickings for him. And, uh, given the state of where the running back depth is right now, that's great for a non-conference opponent where you can limit how many hits Damian Martinez takes. You know that's gravy, right? While while winning a game going away like this, and then additionally, uh, DJU only playing the first half, that's gravy too because that's another that's an entire half of football for Aiden Childs. Not a quarter, not a drive, not two drives, but an entire half. And, uh, you know, I, I liked what he saw. Obviously got the uh, the passing and the rushing touchdown. And, um, you know, he's coming, TJ. And I, I guess the real immediate question that I have in my head, I don't think they're going to redshirt him anymore. No, I don't think so, too. He's – he's it, it seems pretty certain now he is not only first off the bench, but there might be some packages where they want him in there. I'm, I'm curious what it's going to be like, though, with – Combining him and DJ, because the reason you would have Aiden on the field in a meaningful close game would be for his running ability. Right. But after watching DJ run these first couple of weeks, like I, to be honest, I'd rather have him run because I mean, he's I'll not take... going down with the he's not going down with the first tackler. It's true, and so he's I got. Know. I think I think he's got forty eight pounds currently on Aiden. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, freshly freshly eighteen year old Aiden Charles, by yeah. the way. It was yeah, his birthday, yes, birthday. Uh, yesterday happy, on uh, on Tuesday. Happy birthday to the man, Aiden Charles from BeaversEdge.com. You bet. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to redshirt him. I think there will be, whether it be in a blowout or in a situational opportunity, they will put him in there because he's just – he's too talented to not right. give him some reps. I'm just curious, like, would they bother using him in a close game? Like, what – would they want to use him on, like, a direct run stretch play to the edge – would they want it would be, you know, it? you know, what would be uh, a little razzled. And, and again, we have no context on this. TJ and I can say, even with the fall camp practices, we did see there's not like we're hiding any more trick plays or anything that we didn't see. Believe me, the, the things that TJ and I saw during fall camp, we haven't seen yet on the field as far as kind of the trickeration. But the one we can speak on is that we couldn't for a while was I, uh, Isaac Hodgins at fullback. And that was yeah. something that we saw all fall camp so that and then you know i imagine tj that if things were ever a little tighter maybe offense didn't come quite as easy we'd see a few of those razzle dazzle plays you saw in camp right but here's an idea 
what if you have Aiden Childs in under center and like DJ split out as like a wide receiver? Then you could do like the double throw or something like that, where it's like you could Childs throws behind to DJ, DJ or vice versa, or maybe you know it's DJ under center and I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like Charles is so fast with the ball in his hands, but at the same token, I don't know if I want to draw up specific design plays for him that could hurt, get him hurt. You know what I mean? Especially again, especially when you have a bowling ball runner of a quarterback already, who's like right. not only he's not only big, but he makes guys miss when he runs as well. So right. that would be interesting. I you're right. I don't think they're redshirting him. But I don't think either of us have a great idea what situations he would be used in. Because think about it. If you're throwing, you'd probably rather want DJ throwing the football. If you're running the ball, you'd probably want the extra 50 pounds that DJ has on Aiden trials. So it's a balance. It's something yeah. we'll have to see as we go along. Sure. And, and and again, like you said, another thing that we saw a little bit of a, a little bit of, excuse me, uh, in fall camp, but not so much in the game yet. And TJ, I think, alluded to it last week in the podcast was the zone read. And we've seen a, a little bit of that where obviously the Beavers are handing off to the running back the majority of that time in the formation. But there were several times, not so much with DJ in the first half that I can remember, but there was a couple times in that second half, TJ, where if Aiden Childs had kept that ball instead of giving it to Isaiah Newell or Deshaun Fenwick, he had a lot of space around him. And I just wonder if, you know, like you said, the fact that you and I, two people who laser-eyed focus through fall camp, can't precisely say what Aiden Childs' role is going to be, got to be even tougher for opponents, right? Yeah. not There's so not a whole lot of benefit. tape on him. Most of what he has done has not really been out of script, off structure, or any of that matter. It's been like kind of what you'd expect for a freshman quarterback. Easy throws, a lot, lot in the middle, using his legs to run on the edge. And then when you're down in the red zone, you throw to your tight ends and get in the end zone, which he's done, which he did. Riley Sharp, congratulations. First yeah. career touchdown. The former outside linebacker catching his first uh, first career Touchdown, if you want to go hear from Riley. I mean, we had him on our YouTube page yesterday when he talked to the media. So, cool guy. Overall, though, very good Beaver victory. Really not to – there's nothing really to complain about. The Beavers made their field goals as well. Right. Uh, the punting, while maybe a little slow, someone brought up that up in the postgame call-in show after that. The punt unit just, like, looked a touch slow, like it was taking – Josh Green a couple of extra seconds to get the punt sure. off, which I did notice, especially that first one. He's punting out of his own end zone, right? But otherwise, I mean, they didn't. None of them got blocked. Uh, it wasn't really under too much pressure, um, and they got them all away. There was no fumbled snaps, right? Now that obviously that was big. That was one of our takeaways, uh, obviously from the from the game. And uh, you mentioned Atticus Sappington. We talked to him this week too. I checked that out at BeaversEdge.com, and um, you know, at this point. TJ, a brief moment on this, and we'll switch to defense and look ahead to San Diego State. Um, it, it's going to be hard to take that job away from Atticus now if he continues yeah, yeah. to hit some kicks, right? I mean, he hit, he hit from 40-plus. Maybe it was 41 or 40. He might have been right at 40 um, this weekend. And, TJ, that was a, 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 a kind of line in the sand where we're like, eh, we don't know how we feel about him 40-plus or more. Made that kick pretty easily. I mean, he had a few extra yards on. He probably could have hit it from 45. Yeah. So, 
He has been kicking in ideal conditions. Now let's see what this happens when, uh, when it gets true. cold, right? This we we don't true. know until we see it, right? He kicks through the season and, and is excellent in October, November when they need him the most. Absolutely. Right. I'm, a, right. I'm in a wait-and-see mode on Atticus. But he's been really good so far. Sure. And most importantly, he's been accurate. And they haven't needed really long field goals out of him. And even if it's been like long range, it's been so close they feel comfortable going for it anyways. Right. And the offense has been pretty efficient this year. I mean, again, like I said, I mentioned, uh, I think, you know, with the carries he did have, TJ, I think Damian averaged like either seven point something or 8.1 yards per carry last week. So I, I get it. That's, that's, you know, a use, that's a FCS team. But, uh, um, you know, what was the, what was the guess again? What was it 8.1 or 7.9? Uh, 15. Yards per carry? Last week? Oh wow! I thought it was significantly. I thought. I thought. I, I must, against I must, Davis. Yeah, I thought it was eight point. Yes. I said, yeah, maybe fifteen. Maybe I was, okay, so again, the team averaged seven. seven okay, that three. must have been. Yeah, I must have been looking at the team average. But again, even more so impressive. Like you, when you have a guy that good behind the backfield, and then again, I I don't think Deshaun Fenwick and Isaiah Newell are are you know typical second and third stringers by any means, uh, you know, that's certainly going to help Oregon State's, you know, offensive output when they can run the ball that well. And then, you know, you can't load the box and then cover three really fast receivers. I mean, you were talking to uh, receivers coach Kefensa Hinson this week, TJ, and uh, he mentioned when you got Josiah Iris, Silas Bolden, and Anthony Gould out there, there's very few teams who can match that speed stride for stride. So you, you know, you shut down Oregon State's running get, running game, you're going to have a, a speed guy going deep. You're going to have a speed guy in an intermediate route. And you're going to have a speed guy in like a, a you know, a, a slants type route. So when, when you have all that available to you when a team is loading the box, you know, and you can get a, a mismatch on, on, you know, Anthony Gould or Silas Bolden on maybe a slow safety or on a, you know, middle linebacker, that's, that, that's huge, right? Yeah, and if they're trying to, if they're trying to like bracket someone, they can't bracket all of them. Go no. one over the top, one under, underneath. They're gonna have to. Someone's got to be one on one, and I think that's why it's so important that Zach Card really got high usage. Good point. Uh, this past weekend, you know, you know, tied for the team lead, four catches, twenty-one yards. I've yet to really see the uh, excuse me distance from Zach, but it's gonna be one of those guys who's gonna be. It's going to be wide open to have an opportunity to really burn some yards with these defensive backs. Yeah. I'm curious to see the creativity that they, that I they think, exude these guys on once uh, once Pac-12 play starts. Oh, certainly. And I think you, you hit the nail right on it again there, TJ, because, you know, um, I think we kind of knew in fall camp that Zach Carr was going to be a guy. But to hear Coach Henson mention that he's essentially, his words, Anthony Gould 2.0, that's – that's good. That's going to certainly help out Oregon State's, you know, future receiving core and Aiden Childs, you know, obviously down the line too. So a lot to like. And then obviously defensively, TJ, I think the only thing you can really nitpick is that it wasn't a shutout and that, you know, Isaac Hodgins and a few of the other guys, defensive guys that came into the postgame press conference were a little uh, like, darn, we could have held them to a zero there, you know. Other than that, uh, you know, there was maybe one – Early in the game, UC Davis broke some runs, right? They broke a few big right. runs, kind of got into the second level a little bit. But very much like San Jose State we were talking about last week, even when they were moving the ball early and it was like 7-0 or their first drive, um, you know, I think they got a first – I think they got one – I can't remember if they punted right away on their first drive or if they um, got a first down and then punted. But regardless, 
it, it like San Diego State or San Jose State, excuse me, it never seemed like this game was in question or, you know, out of reach. No, it wasn't. And the so like they force an interception on that first drive and That's right. I, I yes. get why the why these guys are so disappointed. I mean, look at this. They UC Davis before throwing that interception on the first drive gained 47 yards on six plays. After that, they did not gain more than 26 yards on any of their drives before that final drive in the fourth quarter where they go 10 for 75 and go down the field and score. That's disappointing for a defense. You just played so well yeah. the entire game gunning for a shutout. You're probably your best opportunity at a shutout all season long. Yeah. And you give up seven points on the second to last drive of the game. Yeah. You, you, you know you can do better than that. And you know your yeah. backups can do better than that as well. Yeah. And again, like you said, you know, that that play too, like offensively, how I thought that that first Martinez run was like, you know, the floodgates opening obviously was set up by the interception on, you know, UCD's first drive. So you talk about the offense and the defense, both making statement plays where on your first drive, you have the turnover. So that for UC Davis's perspective messes with their psyche offensively. Then for the very first play for Damian to go do what he did and, you know, take it to the house, you know, TJ, you will probably agree with me for any of these, FCS type matchups, even the good teams, I'm talking like even Montana state last year and Montana state last year was one of the better FCS teams. Oregon state's played in a long time. They're a very good FCS team. That's why, you know, you don't see a lot of, it's why typically you don't see a lot of like uh, the, the Southern schools or the PAC 12 schools go after North Dakota state or South Dakota state in a given year, because those two teams dominate and win the championship almost every year. So with that, it seems like to ever pull that upset, TJ, you need like those plays to break your way for those guys to start being like, oh my gosh, we can play with these guys. We, we can believe it, right? Like this, they're not, you know, Goliath, so to speak. And Oregon State took UC Davis's stone that was flung at him and stepped right on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was everything you could have wanted for a home opener. Speaking of the home opener, let's, let's talk a little bit about the stadium, man. Yeah, How cool was that? How cool was that? For TJ, as someone who had been going to Oregon State games since I was a kid and can remember when my folks had tickets on the uh, the west side and we would go to a game and circa like 2005, 2006, you know, this is like 10-year-old Brendan right here. He looks across the stadium and he looks up at dad and grandpa and is like, how come their side of the stadium is new? When, when, When do we get our side? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's going to come someday. It'll come one day. TJ, I had heard for, you know, basically from that point on that the West Side was eventually going to happen. So for the Beaver fan who has been waiting for it for a long time, it was a long time coming. And, you know, it's been, uh, you know, systematically, like they started with the Valley football or started with the, obviously the East Side, then did the end zone, then did the other end zone slash the terrace, then completed it with the West Side. And, um you know, obviously, um, a, a lot of like first game, like, you know, craziness as far as like everyone being packed in like sardines and a little bit of chaos and like the food concessions and whatnot. Um, because from what I heard from Oregon State, everybody on the east side of the stadium came to the west side to try out the new food. So uh, keep that in mind, TJ. The east side might have the uh, emptier concessions this year. Uh, um, 
for but, you and your uh, vouchers. I know, right? Um, but um, yeah, no, I mean, all honestly, all considering, it was a great atmosphere um, for someone who had been going to research for a long time, both as a media member uh, and as a football fan. Uh, it, it was, it was, uh, it was a treat, right, to be able to see that finally put together. And um, you know, I, I, I think Oregon State fans really liked the atmosphere. From what I heard, the sound system was maybe little a little loud but actually it maybe might have been since the Oregon State you know got a got a near penalty for cranking that chainsaw a little too much TJ but um yeah I mean all considering when you talk about the experience the fans I talked to and um whatnot uh, they loved it and it seemed like it was everything they wanted and more and uh TJ you actually ran into uh, a a fella who uh was supporting the edge podcast yeah, we were uh, we were looking for a friend of ours, and uh, I'm standing. I'm like I'm standing next to one of the rails. I think it was what 25, 30 yard line of the north end zone on Beaver Street. Looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, <laughs> and and our friend here like was just just like kind of kind of looking at me out of the corner of his eye, and you know usually someone's like, oh, I recognize you, but I don't know what to say at this moment. Sure. And he came over and introduced us and said he. Uh, he said he listened to the Edge podcast, and this is when I'm waiting for you too. I know, right? To get over there, you had went to go see your family. And yeah, I'm waiting for you to come, and yeah, it was super cool. So he said he watches us here on YouTube. So I forget your name, but thanks for watching. We appreciate it. It was good running into you. And if you recognize Brennan or I at the stadium, please feel free to to come give yes, us a hug. We'd yes. appreciate it. Yeah, you know, tap us on the shoulder, smack us on the back, say what's up. We, we love to talk to you guys, love your guys' support, and it's always fun to uh, put names to faces and uh, get different perspectives. And you never know, uh, maybe one day you could be a guest here on the Edge podcast. So we, we always like to uh, keep things fresh and moving. So, again, yeah, shout out for anybody who uh, recognizes the Edge crew. But uh, going back to what you said, I thought Beaver Street was cool. A um, few things I, Brendan Slaughter, would tweak in the press box, but that's a – podcast conversation for a different day uh other than that uh you know uh, I, I thought it was great the stadium the bones of it um having nice clean bathrooms uh pretty cool um i'd be curious anyone can drop their notes in the comments how during the game the concessions experience was when it died down like if you know their thing was you'd be able to kind of still see a lot of the game action from beaver street while in line for concessions uh, it was kind of a madhouse when I got my slice of pizza. So, and, uh, you know, I, I hope they kind of maybe dial in the, the flow of traffic on Beaver Street. They kind of right. need to take the right way being one way and the left way being one way, kind of have it going like a whole, you know, Corvallis is fond of one-way streets, TJ. It should be pretty easy to make it happen. Yeah. So – it it was very noticeable how many of the seats in the upper deck were empty because people just wanted to stand on Beaver Street the whole game. Agreed. And I don't mean like mill around on Beaver Street. I mean stand no, in the middle yep. of it yep. and clog it up. So, listen, <laughs> we love you, you are allowed to do whatever you want. However, it does lead to a bit of a cluster down there on Beaver Street. And I will say, especially for some of us media members, that where our elevator gets out on the south side, if you want to go to – to the Valley Football Center, you got to walk through Beaver Street. Or if you want to walk back towards the parking structure, going from that elevator, you need to walk. The quickest way is walking through Beaver Street. And it is a very slow trek to get through there. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how it will thin out as the season goes along, as the shiny new excitement wears off. 
Sure. And if people want to sit in their seats more, realizing it's overcrowded, I was getting very much the vibe, uh, like a T-Mobile Park vibe from it, yes. though. Yes. Because you know it's a, like T-Mobile Park has the pen out in left center field, where people buy their bleacher tickets, but they'll go yeah. stand out in the beer garden next to the bullpens the entire sure. game, and that's kind of what it felt like. Except this right. is a football game, so it makes it even weirder and yeah, more too- unique. But from everything I, think, I heard you know, from the fans we've had on our show here, from the call-in show after the game, it was a huge hit. Yeah, I mean, uh, agreed. And and maybe some of that, TJ, is the fact that it was UC Davis. And fans are like, I don't really need to pay attention as much as I just want to be here and have the experience, right? I mean, yeah, you know, I, I think even San Diego State, like, again, if Oregon State's going to put on a show like they did these two weeks, compared to like a Utah, a Utah, I imagine it's going to be every button, every seat. You know what I mean? Or Washington. But these first couple games, I think it was the ease of the opponents and also just the nice weather, that being a nice aspect of it too. Um, But yeah, it was kind of funny, TJ. I think I told you, um, I got a chance to do a little bit more kind of like exploring the best routes to places as uh, I was I was the guy who closed down the press box on Saturday night. There was uh, not one person other than the... uh, cleaning crew that uh, that were that came and tapped me on the shoulder being like uh, how much longer are you gonna be because you know we're cleaning in here so uh you know no no biggie just uh, that's that's the work beaversedge.com does so we make <laughs> we make sure to uh crush it in the uh, content game department tj will vouch too because i i sent him a picture when i got home at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah i so uh... I did find like an easier way out of the press box. You know, yeah. if you would go down those stairs next to the coach's elevator, by the way, can yes. the, do you know if the media can use that elevator? Because like I, I walked past it. I didn't, didn't leave. leave. It was yeah. like, it was unguarded when I was walking out. It was like the, it was I like, I left halfway through the fourth quarter, but it wasn't right. like, uh, cause I have to get back here to host my post game show, but it was like yeah, unguarded. So I'm like, can I use this elevator? I wasn't sure. I, so I took yeah. the stairs and if you take that staircase down, it's like there's like a separate exit stairway that goes directly down from the press box. It was okay. super weird. I was like the only yeah. one on those stairs. Yeah, see, I yeah, I need to get there a little. I think I was a little overstimulated with the new stadium, and I'm like, huh, I got my bearings a little bit, but I'm like, I still don't know the best way to get out and out and all that. So I'm sure we're boring you guys with all of our behind the behind the scenes media jargon, but. All that aside, uh, you know, continue to uh, uh, stay tuned to TJ and I as we're going to be at every game this year. We're going to have some awesome experiences, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be sharing some cool moments with you guys as well. And as TJ mentioned, say hi if you see us out in the crowd. We'd love to say uh, what's up to you guys. Uh, TJ, to close out the pod, let's talk a little uh, Aztecs, talk a little San Diego State. And, uh, again, I, I, you know, not to say overconfident or cocky, but, I, I don't. I really don't think this is going to be a, a game Oregon State struggles with. I mean, TJ, I know you're a big fan of Vegas and Vegas lines. Me too, man. If if Vegas is right on this one, this one won't be close. And we saw what it looked like week one, where the Beavers are, you know, a 17 point road favorite. This is like in the same ballpark in terms Agreed. of favorability. And we watched two. We watched a Mountain West team and a very good Pac-12 team take the same field, and one team was clearly faster and more physical than the other. We have tape on that for San Diego State. I went back last night, and I watched those highlights with UCLA. UCLA ran them off the field for a good chunk. They had no – they doubled their yardage. 
did 14 explosive plays, which is a pass of 15 or more or a run of 10 or more yards. They were yeah. just gashing him up and down the field. The difference in explosiveness from both offenses, I think, is what stands out the most. If you look at San Diego State, they're not a very explosive offense. They run the ball a lot. They couldn't run the ball a lot last week. They had to pass the ball nearly 40 times. But right. with their quarterback, Jalen Malin, who was a safety at the beginning of last year, switched back to quarterback and now is starting as at quarterback this season for the Aztecs, uh, hasn't pushed the ball down the field that much at all. Right. I think that's where the Beavers might have the biggest advantage in this game, where they feel comfortable, as we've seen this year, both efficiency-wise and aesthetics-wise. They pass the ball down the field very well. The Aztecs have not, and that's a major crutch when you're on the road facing a defense as good as Oregon State has had this season. 100%. And, you know, you look at their numbers, I mean, averaging, you know, offensively 140 yards less than Oregon State offensively per game, uh, only 148 yards passing, 173 yards rushing. Um, you know, ever going back to – okay, help me out here, TJ. Uh, Seattle running back uh, from San Diego State. Didn't, Rashad didn't Penny. Make, Thank you. Yes. Going back to Rashad Penny and just guys like San Diego state has always had a really good running back. Like that's that, you know, you, you look at Rashad Penny, you look at, you know, many other guys they've had come in throughout the year. So that's kind of what they're hanging their hat. Pumphrey. Yes. Thank you. Pumphrey's yeah. another guy, um, you know, and, and that's typically where they like to lead with. So when I look at the stats, TJ, and I see that Jalen Maiden is their leading rusher with, you know, buck 84, in three games, they've played three games, folks, not two, three. Uh, they don't, and I forget who it was this year that I was I was speaking uh, on it with. It might have been you, TJ, but somebody was like, you know, the biggest difference with San Diego State this year is they don't have a running back. And I'm not going to say that they don't. They have a couple guys that have, you know, less yards than, than Maiden does. But uh, it seems to me like if you're Oregon State, you just guard against uh, Maiden doing anything, you know, like Chevron Cordero did against USC, you know, breaking those third and 20 type plays where he's able to scramble because again, uh, mentioned to TJ in the, uh, ahead of the podcast, Maiden's averaging like seven, some yards of carries. So when he does decide to run, you know, two runs, that's first down. So I think Oregon state will certainly have to care, like, you know, pay special care to his running ability. But as you mentioned, not quite the most accurate thrower out there. The accuracy is not super great. Um, a little under 60%. Uh, you know, Oregon State should be able to take advantage of that. It's So you mentioned that he averages seven yards a carry, and I think that honestly highlights how bad the running game has been this yes. season out of him because they're outside the top 100 – or they're just, sorry, just inside the top 100 of yards per carry. Three – under three and a half yards a carry this season. Oof. It's pretty bad, and when, especially brutal. when your quarterback is uh, as efficient as he's been on the ground this season. But against we, – we did really get a measuring stick against uh, UCLA last year. It was at home. It was in San Diego. And UCLA is a good team. I think UCLA is good. I don't know if they're as good as Oregon State is. I, I will ha- right. When our Beaver's Edge power rankings come out this week, I'll have the Beavers yeah. solidly ahead of UCLA. And, again, UCLA – with a freshman quarterback, no doubt, walked in there and had a pretty easy time. Even despite turning the ball over a couple times, the score could have been significantly worse. And speaking of that, I mean, San Diego State did also 
have a few bad turnovers, including one at the one yard line. They <clears throat> threw a slant. Where have we heard that right. before? <laughs> um, <laughs> so they got to, uh, so it, it, it's a mixed bag, but I'm, yeah, I just don't see how San Diego state scores enough points. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, everything you said was a hundred percent spot on. And, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, the measuring stick was a, a great way to describe it because again, just parceling this out in terms that I, this is how I feel. Oregon State's not going to lose to a team that beat Idaho State by eight points. Period. It's just not going to happen. Like, this this uh, San Diego State team needed everything they could to beat Idaho State and Ohio. Not Ohio State, folks. Ohio, the Bobcats. So, and then, as TJ mentioned, a shellacking. You know, I, I guess 35-10's not a miserable score, but it kind of shows you weren't really in the game. You know what I mean? So, and, and as TJ said, all three of those games were at home. This is their first road game of the season. That that just, to me, TJ, this, it's like a witch's brew of disaster right there as I'm looking at San Diego State. And there's a couple other things, too. So not it's a noon kickoff or a 12.30 kickoff, yeah. but they have to stay up in Portland because the hotel they booked in Eugene had burned down, or at least a did, portion I, of it had. I didn't see that. What hotel? So they had to. Uh, I think. Oh, I think it no. Had, no, it had burned. I think it was in like the late spring when it had okay, burned down. But okay, they had like okay. I, they booked these things so far in advance. True. So the only place they uh, could find was a hotel in like southern Portland. So it's like okay. Wow. Wait, well, the, uh, so does that mean the San Diego State Aztecs are going to pick a suburb like Sherwood to come hang out, man? But we're going to have the Aztecs here in town. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. How big are the hotels in Sherwood? We've only got one. <laughs> We've only got one. But no, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's so, funny you mentioned I mean, just, that. Uh, anyway, yeah. just like think about that. They're, they're going to have to get, add, you know, an hour to their commute Yeah. to the game on Monday. And like that's all well, like an advantage for Oregon State. Well, you're right. The commute, the fact that Oregon plays at home in the afternoon, I-5 yeah. could be a disaster on Saturday. Heads up, folks. Make yeah. sure to leave extra early. Uh, especially if y'all want to tailgate because 1230 is going to come early on Saturday. Um, but no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And you know, it's, um, it's, it's definitely interesting because when you mentioned that, that reminds me of two years ago when Oregon state hosted the super regional in baseball and Auburn because of Oregon state's graduation had to go get a hotel in Wilsonville, which is again, right off the freeway, you know, a suburb of Portland, a quote unquote people, people will come after me on this podcast for saying suburb of Portland. So I won't say Wilsonville is the suburb of Portland, but it's a suburb of the greater Portland area, I should say. Uh, and I could very easily see, you know, that I'd be very curious to know uh, where they're staying TJ, because that's, that's nuts. I didn't hear, I did not know that until just now. So another crazy uh, travel thing for the, or just aspect of getting to the game, but That'll be unique because there's only two ways into Corvallis, man. You go, uh, well, three if you're coming from the south. But if you're coming from the north, you got 30, I guess three. You can go through Albany, go 34, or you're coming uh, uh, up 99. And you got a bus full of uh, players. That's going to be a lot. You're right. That's going to throw off a, a little bit of rhythm for sure. And we'll see how it affects them, man. I mean, with all these cards already against stacked against them in this, in this game. But overall right. – I mean, Oregon State across the board, through the air, on the ground, 
Do you think um, defensive line at quarterback, et cetera, it just, it very much leans the Beavers way. Yeah. We've talked a lot about, you know, Oregon state's uh, uh, defense versus San Diego state's offense. Let's go and close out anything San Diego state could do defensively that would maybe give you some pause in this game, TJ, or do you think Oregon state would be able to get whatever they want uh, moving the ball? I mean, it looks like they're a little more stout against the run than they are the pass. So this could be like DJ's like, coming out party in terms of like maybe throwing for a lot of yards because you know they they seem to allow more to the pass than the run i mean i mean they're 102nd nationally in yards per carry so yeah five yards a carry i mean they're 88th in in yards per play overall on defense 64 like they've been actually kind of decent against the pass i'd say they're like middle of the pack 64th in yards per attempt the the only really standout stat they have as a defense they've been pretty good in the red zone this season and that's because they forced a lot of turnovers so they're good in the red zone and they've also forced a nation leading eight turnovers again in an extra game than most other programs but they've managed to force a, a good chunk of turnovers in these first few games no i will say this and we'll close out on this thought as tj put it so eloquently with those turnovers that could be the only thing that could yeah. bring this game into a bit of a whack of sorts is if Oregon state is sloppy, turns the ball over a lot, it could be a closer game. But even then I still don't think Oregon state would shoot themselves in the foot enough to give San Diego state a chance to walk into research stadium and win again, this was on the road and you know, Washington state's coming up, Utah's coming up. You could be like, okay, Oregon state's looking past, but it's at home, and I, I just don't really think this Oregon. <laughs> I don't think this Oregon State team this year, TJ, is looking past a whole lot. No, I don't think so either. I, I, I thought about this yesterday when I was looking at this. I'm like, the only path to victory I see for San Diego State is multiple Oregon State turnovers deep in their own territory that yeah. sets up for easy scores with San Diego State. If the Beavers don't do that, there's nothing much I see on paper, and Vegas agrees that yeah. would lead Oregon State to lose this game. Certainly. And uh, yeah, again, folks, uh, make sure to catch that game 1230 on Saturday. Uh, FS1 got the uh, got the call this weekend. And uh, obviously, TJ and I will be there and uh, be bringing you guys uh, um, coverage from that matchup. And uh, it's going to be exciting to uh, see a research stadium during the day after uh, catching it for a night game. I'm curious to see if the crowd's about the same or maybe a little less or who knows, maybe even a little bit more. Uh, So that's going to be certainly interesting as Oregon State, you know, closes out uh, the non-conference slate this weekend, uh, 1230 on FS1. Make sure to stay locked to beaversedge.com. Lots of cool stuff coming up on the website this week. TJ alluded to it earlier. Uh, A special we're going to be rolling out for our subscribers only is going to be our weekly Pac-12 power rankings. Uh, It's going to be me, TJ, and our recruiting analyst, Dylan Callahan Crowley. Uh, We're all going to give our thoughts on the Pac-12 power rankings each week. It's going to be something that is uh, again, unique and special for our subscribers. So if you want to check it out, again, we got an awesome promo. You can check out beaversedge.com free for 30 days. Just head on over uh, to the front page and click on that promo. Uh, otherwise, uh, we're also going to have you know our weekly injury report, our predictions, and everything else to get you guys geared up for the matchup. So make sure to stay locked to beaversedge.com for Saturday's matchup and everything in between. Big thanks to TJ Matthewson for always is joining me on this edition of the Edge Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week.